I want to welcome everyone to Easter worship today, and I want you to know what a joy it is for me to have a little bit of time to spend talking to you about the single greatest event in the history of the world. Of course, I'm talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I so wish, and I know all of you feel the same way, that we could be together in person today. I miss seeing you. I miss having the worship center filled to overflowing and multiple services on, week, on weekends like Easter weekend. But I'm so thankful for the technology that allows us to continue to meet together during this time of coronavirus craziness. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to take it and go with me to the Gospel of Matthew and the 28th chapter. Just find that in your Bibles and hold that ready. The last time we were in the Gospel of Matthew, I stopped at Matthew chapter 27 and verse 56. At this point, Jesus has died. In fact, Matthew 27 and verse 50 says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. After that, Matthew records that there were two supernatural events that accompanied the death of Jesus. My son Andrew actually talked about these a few weeks ago when he preached about the crucifixion. First, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Now, when Matthew writes about the temple, he's not writing about the temple as a whole, but a very special place inside the temple called the Holy of Holies, where it was believed that the presence of God dwelled, at least the symbolic presence of God. And there was a curtain or a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And at Jesus' death, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. Certainly, that could only have been done as a result of a supernatural act of God, the fact that it was torn from top to bottom. And that was so symbolic because when Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin, he removed any barrier that kept any man from being able to enter into the presence of God. The second miracle that, or supernatural event rather, that Matthew records accompanying Jesus' death was an earthquake that was accompanied by the resurrection of many holy people who, after Jesus' own resurrection, appeared to many people in Jerusalem. Again, that's something that could only be described as a supernatural act of God. From there, the next thing we read in Matthew 27 is the testimony of the centurion who was guarding Jesus, who, based on everything that was happening around him, everything that he saw, based solely on the evidence that was available to him, came to the only conclusion he could come to. And he said about Jesus in verse 54 of Matthew 27, surely he was the Son of God. Matthew tells us that while all this was happening, the women who had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for him, to minister to him, were watching from a distance. Then as evening approached, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man who had become a follower of Jesus, asked for his body. When it was given to him, he wrapped it in a linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that was cut out of a rock, and he rolled a large stone in front of it. John's Gospel tells us that Joseph wasn't alone in this, that he was accompanied by a man named Nicodemus. And surely this is the same Nicodemus that John writes about in John chapter 3, who had a conversation with Jesus that resulted in Jesus saying, unless that you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. The final verses of Matthew chapter 27 tell us that the next day, the religious leaders went to Pilate asking him to station guards outside the tomb. They remembered that Jesus had said 
that in three days he would rise again. And they were afraid, at least this is what they said, they were afraid that his disciples might come and steal his body, giving the appearance of a resurrection. And so Pilate made sure that Jesus' tomb was sealed and that there was a, a guards or a group of guards rather stationed outside to make sure that it was secure. And then we come to Matthew chapter 28. And our text for our Easter weekend is Matthew 28 verses 1 through 10. And so if you've got your Bibles open there, then you follow along with me as I read. I've got my NIV Bible. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. You know, when you study Matthew's account of the resurrection, which is the absolute culmination of everything that we've been studying in the Gospel of Matthew since we began all the way back in November of 2016, you find that what Matthew writes about Jesus' resurrection is actually very, very simple. He doesn't write about it from a scholarly perspective. He doesn't write about it from a historical perspective. He doesn't even write about the evidence of the resurrection. Instead, what Matthew does in those 10 verses is he just writes about the emotion of the resurrection. I'm going to work my way back through that text and try to show you what I mean. Look back at verse 1 with me. Our passage begins like this. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Why were they there? Why did they go? Well, it was because they were simply hoping that they might have one last opportunity to minister to Jesus. In Mark's gospel, as he tells this part of the story, he says in Mark 16 and 3, that when these women were on the way to the tomb, they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance? The first emotion that we see Matthew writing about with regard to the resurrection is the love and the devotion these women felt for Jesus. They didn't go to the tomb because they believed that Jesus was alive. They didn't go there because they expected to find him alive. They went to minister to him. They had such love for him that they went to minister to him. That's all they wanted to do was serve him. They were deeply devoted to him. The next emotion that Matthew writes about that was on display at the resurrection was absolute terror. I'm going to go back and pick it up in verse 2 and this time read all the way down through verse 7. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. Can you even imagine what that must have been like? 
Verse 4 gives us a little indication. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. i got to tell you, friends, I love the way Matthew writes about the guards. When he writes in verse 4, The guards were so afraid, so afraid of the angel, that they shook and became like dead men. That word shook comes from the same root word in the Greek language as the word earthquake. And so basically what Matthew was saying is that these guards experienced personal earthquakes both in their bodies and their minds. And the end result was they became like dead men. In other words, they were so paralyzed with fear, they were so traumatized what they saw that they passed out and were unconscious. And so the second emotion that Matthew writes about with regard to the resurrection was terror. Then we see the next emotion, the third emotion, and that emotion was fear. And I say that because once the guards passed out, the angel looked at the women and said to them, this is the very first part of Matthew 28 and verse 5, he simply said, do not be afraid. Now these women hadn't said anything yet, but the angel knew what was happening in their hearts, he knew what was going on in their minds, and so in a preemptive way he said to them, do not be afraid. The next emotion, which would be the fourth emotion, was the emotion of joy. Listen again to verse 5 through 8. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And then verse 8 says, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. I find it interesting, and I'm sure you do as well, that in verse 8, Matthew says, So the women hurried away from the tomb afraid, yet filled with joy. And yet at the same time, that makes total sense to me. Because this supernatural event that was happening in front of them happened so quickly. How could they not have at least a remnant of fear in their hearts as they left the tomb? But what's most important is they left overwhelmed with joy. The next emotion that Matthew writes about, and this would be emotion number five, is the emotion of worship. That might sound odd, but bear with me. Verse 29 says, this is as the women were leaving, as per the instructions of the angel to go and tell the disciples that Jesus was alive. Verse 9 says, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And here's their response. They came to him clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And I'm calling this an emotion because of the way they worshipped him. They fell to the ground. They bowed down before him in absolute humility and love and awe and joy. And they worshipped him. And honestly, friends, isn't that the way worship should be? The final emotion that Matthew writes about with regard to the resurrection, and this would be the sixth emotion that he mentions, is the emotion of hope. 
The last verse of our text, Matthew 28.10 says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I love the way what I love the way that John MacArthur writes about this in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. He writes and says, Despite the disciples' lack of faith, despite their cowardice, and despite their defection, the Lord graciously speaks of them as his brothers. And he says that when they arrive in Galilee, they will see him again. And by telling these women to go and tell the disciples that information, that he was alive and that he was going to see them in Galilee, that he wanted to see them, Jesus was giving a message of hope, not just to them, but he was giving a message of hope to all of us. Isn't it interesting that while the resurrection of Jesus is announced in this passage, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, it's not explained? At least not beyond the angel's subtle reminder when he told the women in verse 6, he is not here, he is risen, and then he adds the words, just as he said. When Matthew focuses on his account of the resurrection, his account of what happened, he just talks about what everyone felt. He tells us what the earth felt. The earth felt an earthquake. He tells us what the guards felt. The guards felt terror. He tells us what the women felt. They felt fear, and then they felt joy, and then they felt worship, and then they felt hope. And so my question as we think about Matthew's account of the resurrection is this. Can you feel the effect of the resurrection in your life? Can you feel the resurrection as we worship together today? In his book, The Case for Hope, Lee Strobel, who, as you know, a couple of years ago was a guest speaker for us here at Mount Pleasant. Lee Strobel writes about Rick Warren, who is the pastor of Saddleback Church in Southern California and the author of The Purpose Driven Life. Rick Warren is maybe the most well-known pastor in America, certainly probably in the top five. Rick and his wife Kay went through a devastating loss some time ago when their 27-year-old son Matthew took his own life after battling depression and mental illness for years. About a year after that tragedy took place, Rick spoke about it, and this is what he said. I've often been asked, how have you made it? How have you kept going on in your pain? And I've often replied, the answer is Easter. He goes on to explain, you see, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus happened over three days. Friday was a day of suffering and pain and agony. Saturday was a day of doubt and confusion and misery. But Easter, that Sunday, was a day of hope and joy and victory. And then he said, here's the fact of life. You will all face these same three days over and over again in your lifetime. And when you do, you'll find yourself asking the same question that I did. Actually, you'll find yourself asking these three fundamental questions. Number one, 
What do I do in my days of suffering, pain, and agony? Number two, how do I get through my days of doubt and confusion and misery? And finally, number three, how do I get to the days of hope and joy and victory? Friends, we feel the effect of the resurrection when we realize that Jesus conquered death. And when Jesus conquered death, he conquered everything. That means he conquered every fear and every trial and every setback and every loss that you and I could ever experience in our lives. Nothing, and I want everyone right where you are today to say with me, nothing out loud, nothing measures up to the resurrection. And that includes something like a worldwide pandemic like the coronavirus. And so what do we do in our days of suffering and pain and agony? We remember that Jesus is alive. And what do we do in our days of doubt and confusion and misery? We remember that Jesus is alive. And how do we get to those days of hope and joy and victory? We remember that Jesus is alive. Because the fact that Jesus is alive means that when you have a personal relationship with him, <clears throat> there's nothing that you can't overcome. And you will, we will in our lives, experience those days of joy and hope and victory. And if it's not in this lifetime, then certainly it will be in that life to come. And it's all because Jesus is alive. And when you feel the reality of that in your life in a way that carries you through the days of life, then you feel the resurrection. Jesus is alive. In fact, Wherever you are, let's just say that together. Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, friends, we have the hope and the joy and the victory that we long for. I want you to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful today to know that Jesus is alive. We're so thankful that he overcame death. And in overcoming death, he overcomes everything that we might face in our lives and that we can trust him and we can rely on him. When those days of suffering and pain and agony come, we can trust him and rely on him because we know he is alive. When those days of doubt and confusion and misery come, we can trust him and we can rely on him because we know that he is alive and we can count on the days of hope and joy and victory. I pray today as we celebrate the resurrection, not just in this moment, but throughout the day, we will remember that. We will take our eyes off of the trouble around us and we will remember that Jesus is alive. Thank you for this time. I pray your blessing on all those listening to me and I ask this prayer in the precious, powerful, and living name of Jesus. Amen.